Please join me for a word of prayer. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our mind and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. The question of who am I is a timeless question. It's repeated by the biblical authors in numerous ways, perhaps the most eloquent being in the Psalms, Psalms 8, the 8th Psalm. The author begins with the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? That's a question that is still pondered today and by uh, popular, popular literature or uh, philosophers with questions of genetic engineering and artificial intelligence, this question of who am I, what is man, what is woman, seems to have renewed relevance. It's a question that, not to mention, is explored by, uh, by great thinkers and popular culture. It's a question that's explored by each one of us. Every adolescent at some point in, in their life has looked up at the sky and thought, who am I? What am I here for? Is there anything special about me? Yeah, it's a timeless question, absolutely. But it's also a deeply personal question as well, and one that every single human being at some point in time has questioned. The opening chapters of Genesis provide a compelling and comprehensive and satisfying, a deeply satisfying answer to that fundamental question of who am I, who are you, our dignity, our equality with one another, our sense of responsibility, our sociability, are all established in these few brief words which we can never ponder enough. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. As we consider this passage, we're going to find out, find that uh, humanity is initially defined not by what they're made of, you heard in our opening prayer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. These are all parts of our humanity. But we'll note that we're not initially defined as sort of a composite of our parts. No doubt that is true, but it's simply not how we are initially defined. We'll find that we are not initially defined by our roles and our, our, uh, by our tasks. Certainly we have many tasks and, and, and duties, but that is not how we're initially defined. We're going to find that our initial, the basis for our initial definition, it all takes place in the sphere of relationships, that we, are, we discover our identity in relation to other things. And to me, this makes sense. Our uh, Susie Glade, my uh, endless source of sermon illustrations is uh, today is her birthday. She's, uh, she turned four today, so having a popsicle party following, uh, not for everybody, just for a few small people, a few. <laughs> 
little Susie understands herself primarily in terms not of what she's made of, body, soul, mind, no. She understands herself primarily in terms of relationships, of who she is related to. She is my daughter, Jennifer's daughter. She is siblings. Uh, that is how she understands herself in terms of relationship. We're going to find the same thing is true in the opening chapters of Genesis. We understand ourselves in relationship to other things. So we're going to see three things that we're related to. And as, we, as I'm going to read the passage again, I want you to have your listening ears on, and I want you to listen for those three things that we are related to. See if you can spot them. So our passage again, very brief. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the flesh, fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, etc., so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Did you hear the three things to which we are related? We are related first to God. Second, we are related to the good earth. And second, thirdly, we're related to one another. So let's try Now the next question is, how are we related to these things? Indulge me in a little junior, uh, kind of a a kindergarten exercise, on your notes if you have them, list those three things, God, the good earth, and the one another. If you don't want to listen to me and take notes, and simply make a mental list of those three things. Now think, how are we related to those things? Let me give you three prepositions. Those prepositions are like, over, and with. Okay, so here you have three things, God, the good earth, and to one another. Here you have three prepositions, like, with, and over. Let's connect the dots. How would you connect one to the other? What is our relationship to God, the creation, the good earth, and to one another? Let's see how you did. Our relationship to God, let's start there. What line did you connect it to? Like, that's right, we are like God. Now that sounds Borderline blasphemous, doesn't it? Really like God? That's a little ambitious, don't you think? But that is exactly what the Bible says about you and me. We are defined as being like God and in His image. Certainly, we have similarities with the created world. No doubt, we're similar to the birds and the fish. We are made of the physical stuff of the earth. We eat, we sleep, we reproduce, we fill the earth. And there are certain undeniable physical aspects of you and me. Yet, this emphasis on Genesis is not on our similarity to creation, but our, instead our similarity to God. We are like Him. And in all those ways in which we are different from the animal kingdom, we find something of our God-likeness. Now, every time I make a distinction between man and your pets, I always get a little bit of pushback. I'm not suggesting that your animals and your beloved creatures have no sociability. And no, I'm just saying that human beings have more of these things. Those things are that make us separate and distinct from the animal world. We are conscious. We know we can think, we can step outside of ourselves and think about ourselves. We are sociable. We engage with other peoples to a depth that simply is not... Um, available to the animal kingdom. We have morals. We are uh, a conscience. We know when we've done wrong. Again, I'm not saying that no other creature has these things, but you and I, God's creatures, have them to a, uh, 
a greater degree, and that is what makes us like God. Let's move on. Creation. What line did you use to connect yourself to creation? According to this passage, we are over creation. Humanity is created to have dominion. That's where uh, we could simply say lordship or stewardship over creation. Now those words, dominion and lordship, those are very strong words. Apologies to anybody who was here at our Evensong. This will be just a brief repetition of what I shared there. Some have, a, have suggested that those words, dominion and stewardship, have been the cause of environmental abuse. One critic and naturalist has called these lines of scriptures as three horrifying lines, a ghastly and calamitous text. In other words, our given dominion over creation implies our, an allowance for our destruction of creation. And that simply makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense to think that God who created his good earth would hand it over to you and me to be destroyed. We must credit the biblical authors with some logical consistency. We are stewards of creation. Creation belongs to God because he created it. Creation belongs to us because we are its stewards by delegation. We are the stewards of what he has created. So that only leaves one last preposition of how we're related to one another. And that preposition is the word with. And when I say with, I mean fundamentally equal to. With as in side by side. Humanity, and when the Bible says man, it's using a generic word for man and woman, humanity. So I'm going to move interchangeably between those two. Humanity is created, did you note, as a society, as male and female. Now, humanity as created as either male or female will have far-reaching implications. Jesus will, of course, reference this passage uh, as he explains the nature and the dignity of marriage. For us, for this morning, it is enough to observe that there is a fundamental distinction between the two sexes and a fundamental equality between the two sexes. Both male, female, created in God's image. Both male and female, equal partners in the stewardship of God's earth. Both male and female, given dominion. Both created in God's likeness. We are with one another. So there you have it. Three fundamental relationships. We are related to God, according to Genesis, in that we are like him. We are related to God's good earth in that we are over it as its steward, its Lord. And third, we are related to one another as distinct from but equal to with one another. Those are the principles. I've got a nickel word for you for your SAT. We are created for a trichotomy of relationships. And we can neither fully understand ourselves we can neither, nor can we be fully who we are meant to be without one of these relationships in place. In other words, we're created responsible over God's good earth. And we cannot understand ourselves 
We cannot be fully who we are meant to be apart from our relationship to God's good earth, a proper understanding of it. We are created socially to be with one another, and you cannot understand yourself, and you cannot be fully who you are meant to be by yourself. Finally, you are created theologically in the image of God, and you cannot understand yourself nor be full, fully who you are intended to be apart from a relationship with God. So those are, those are the relationships, those are the implications. You can't understand yourself. You can't be fully who you are without each of those three in its proper place. Let's think of how we can apply these. Let's start with creation. What are some practical applications of this observation that you and I are related to creation as both its steward and its Lord. Now your mind, like my mind, could probably jump to any number of environmental ills that are certainly big and certainly worth our attention. Melting ice caps, greenhouse gases, etc. And no doubt that these are significant concerns. However, I find that for me, it's easy to look at the problems that are out there, the social ills and the big isms, without ever allowing this question to simply rest with myself. And I want to think a little bit less about out there and a little bit more how these apply to me by way of example of this principle. There's a Someone who lives not too far away from me, and they have one of those signs in the yard, and it says, practice kindness. And I'm all for kindness. More of it, please. However, these, this person is also the fastest driver I've ever seen. I think they hit, they hit 55 on Russell Road. And I want to, I have not yet, I've wanted to sneak up into their front yard in the middle of the night and say, practice the speed limit. Let's just start there. I'm not suggesting that kindness is not worth our pursuit, but sometimes we can think of the isms and the ills, and we can just not let it rest here. So let's put the isms and the social ills to one side and ask, how does our created nature inform us on a daily basis? You are a steward a Lord of creation. What does that mean for you? It certainly means this, that you are not primarily a consumer of creation. You are one, not the other. A steward, not a consumer. The most important, the most uh, exciting moments of my children's life are what they get to watch on TV. Especially during summertime. Dad, what do I get to watch? What's on TV? And we're not Amish. We have a TV. I like TV. Nothing wrong with TV. But let's simply recognize collectively that being a passive consumer is underneath being an active steward. Do you see? You will never know who you really are. You will never be who you are fully meant to be as a couch potato. You're a steward and a lord. I've referenced this book before. It's called The Shop Class as Soulcraft. It's written by a really smart guy, graduated from the University of Chicago, had a really highfalutin job in a really important place. And he put it all down, and he became a mechanic. 
and he became convinced that the skills required to work in a shop class, work in the hands-on stuff of life, far exceeded the intellectual capacity of his highfalutin, important job. And the back of the cover will, ser will serve for our purposes this morning. Based on his own experience as an electrician and mechanic, Matthew Crawford, the author, makes the case for the kind of work that requires mastery of real things. Isn't that great? The mastery of real things. It is a moving reflection, this book is, a moving reflection on how we can live concretely in an ever more abstract world. That's very helpful. You see what he's writing about? He sees found some satisfaction in working with the real stuff of earth. Why? Why does he find it satisfying? Why do you find it satisfying to get your hands dirty? Why? Because you are created as a steward and Lord. Now, many of us in D.C. work in the world of ideas and thoughts. And simply, uh, aside from some hobby we may have on the side, we, we, we deal with in that world, not with the hands-on of, of being a shop mechanic. How can this apply to us? Well, I think in very practical ways. You are a steward of thoughts, and you are a steward of language. Listen to what Norman Cousins wrote in Time Magazine, 1990, December. He wrote this. Much of the stumbling and incoherence that gets in the way of effective communication these days has in its origin our failure early on to develop respect for the thought process. The way thoughts are converted into words calls for no less attention, no less formal schooling than mathematics or any other systematic subject. Clean, precise writing or speaking requires systematic and sequential thought. Now here's the line. Words must be crafted, not sprayed. Isn't that great? Can you imagine what life would look like if words, we all did a little bit better job on crafting our thoughts into words rather than spraying them? You are a steward of your thoughts and a steward of words. So those are some practical applications of this fundamental relationship that we are over God's good earth. Second, you are social. You are created to be with others. And you cannot understand yourself. You cannot be fully who you are meant to be outside of your relationship with other real-life human beings. You may know that C.S. Lewis had some very dear friends. They were called the Inklings. And it was a group of writers. C.S. Lewis, of course, famous for the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. Among the Inklings... And they met at a pub and they discussed their writing. Among the Inklings were J.R. Tolkien and Charles Williams, two other writers. C.S. Lewis writes this. He said, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. He goes on to describe one of his friends, one of the threesome passing away, Charles Williams, and he writes this, Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specific joke made by Charles. Far from having more of Ronald, of having to him, him to myself, now that Charles is gone, I now have less of Ronald. You see what he's saying? He's saying there's, there's 
certain aspects of who you are that are only called into being through relationship and through particular relationships, through particular friendships. And I just find it to be absolutely true. I know in my own life there are certain friends that when I'm with them, not a whole new different me comes out, but just a different emphasis of me comes out. Here's the point. Here's the application. Value and foster friendships. Have a drink. Grab a cup of coffee. Have a meal with a friend. You are a social creature, and you cannot be who you are meant to be, nor understand yourself outside of other human beings. Friendship is a great gift. And this is a practical application of this principle. Third and final, you are theological. You are created to be like God and in His image. And you cannot understand yourself, and you cannot be fully who you are meant to be outside of a relationship with God. The challenge, of course, is that God is invisible. It's hard to be like someone that you cannot see. But what if, if even for just a brief moment, God was not invisible? What if God, even for a span of 30 some odd years, revealed himself to you and me. Well, that would solve a multitude of problems. Jesus Christ is described to us as the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself is perfect man who fully reveals humanity to itself. Think of how Jesus interacted with the creation around him. Think of how Jesus interacted with the human beings around him. And you see evidence of our high calling. Jesus was the steward and Lord of creation. He began his life as a carpenter, working with his hands. In his public ministry, he displayed a mastery over creation that baffles our imagination. He stilled the waves. He divided divided loaves and fishes. He was creation's Lord, and he was creation's steward. Jesus Christ was social. See if you can fill in the blank. Jesus called 12 disciples. He called them to do what? First and foremost, he called them to be with him in the same way that you and I are created as social creatures to be with other people. Jesus' first invitation to his disciples was that, is that they would be nothing more than with him. Apparently, Jesus valued the company of other human beings, and to value the um, company does not make him any less divine. He needed other human beings and called to them in his moments of need. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane when he called out simply for friends. Jesus is our Savior, yes, but he is also our revealer. And he alone fully and completely reveals humanity to itself and reveals the high dignity of our calling. So, let me summarize. Three principles from the story. We are related to creation as its steward and Lord. We are created to one another to be with them, and we are created to be like God. The implications are we cannot know ourselves nor be who fully who we are meant to be. If either of these are removed, creation, God, one another. Three applications from these implications. 
Don't remove yourself from creation. You are not its consumer. You are its steward and Lord. Our stewardship of creation applies to what we do with our hands and how we use our words. Further, because you are social, act like it. Friendships, not always easy, but they are so worth it because without friends, without others, you will never be who you are meant to be. Third and finally, you are created theologically like God. Because you are created to be in the image of God, you must draw near to him who is the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. So today, take a step towards him. He will reveal what true humanity is all about. Jesus, the Savior of mankind, fully reveals man to himself and makes our high calling clear. You are responsible over God's good earth. You are social, created in community to be with others. You are theological, created to be like God and in his image. And this is the biblical definition of who am I. Please rise.